Welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bilotti, and I'm currently coming at you from my sunroom. I'm in a different location in my house. I recorded, last week I recorded on my bed in my room, and because I was like bent over, because my microphone was like balanced on a pillow situation, my back hurt for like a solid day after that. So I was like, I'm going to try sitting at a table, and my family, of course, is around. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to like go to the, the sunroom and isolate myself in there and record an episode and once I got out here I realized how it's so windy out today and you can hear like the wind pushing against the glass and like there's like a little um wind chime that's like swinging around and kind of ominously making these noises but I thought it kind of added to the ambiance so the the overall vibe of this episode because I'm about to tell you guys a story well uh, in a little bit because I want to kind of get to my point first but I have a little story to tell you guys today as I usually do I love storytelling as you know I love history as you know so luckily a lot of you guys have you know figured this out about me and have been DMing me ideas for who I should speak about and who I should research and look into and so today's couple it's two people it was a romance um, it's, it's a love story kind of what I'll be sharing today um, came from one of you guys so thank you for submitting it's so funny because just the universe works in mysterious ways and brought me this idea from one of you guys um, when I was already kind of thinking of talking about a very similar concept. So let me kind of just yeah, back it up a little bit and tell you guys what I've been feeling and thinking about. And I actually am looking at this note that I wrote last night, um, just kind of breaking out my ideas. And the timestamp is 2.06 a.m., I was like thinking about this so late last night and I was like I need to just bang out all this research for whatever reason last night was just the night and then this morning our power went out here because it is so windy um, that our power fully went out because a huge tree um, fell in one of our neighbor's yards and it sliced we have we have a uh, power lines that are out of the ground some people have it buried underneath the ground ours are out of the ground because we, we live in a very old kind of beachy neighborhood and people I don't know we just never put them underground I guess so a tree totally knocked out the power line and we were without power for five hours or so um and of course I don't know why I didn't charge my computer last night but I didn't so I was yeah anyway I was kind of forced to not work for five hours which was kind of nice because even given everything going on I've been still really banging out work so it's kind of nice to have a forced break um to play Animal Crossing which I just got my Switch Lite in today um but I'll talk about that later anyway (laughs) can I get back to what I was talking about okay So today we'll be sharing a love story of Lord Byron and Caroline Lamb. Um, I had never heard of them before. Um, I knew Lord Byron was some literary guy and he is actually or was a poet in the 1800s, but I didn't really know much about Caroline Lamb or Lady Caroline Lamb. Um, So I researched them. Their story is unbelievable. It's just crazy. Like I was reading and comparing sources and really compiling some notes and I was like, this is just madness because back in the 1800s, Roman was despite people saying chivalry is dead and chivalry was this huge thing that existed way back when and you know whatever and things were different of course they were different but it's actually spooky how similar things were and how similar basically I'm going to talk about fuckboys today but the 1800s version um so I'll get into that but it's so funny how just researching them really just I was like wow 
This is exactly what I've been talking about to my friends for the past, I guess, like week and a half, two weeks of being in isolation and being, of course, banished or not banished out of the city um, and just kind of just comparing. It's so weird, like looking back on my own life, like I was looking at Snapchat memories from early March, like before this really became a a severe thing in the U.S. And I was just like happy-go-lucky at a bar, just, you know, being dramatic with my friends and having fun. And I just had absolutely no idea what was about to hit and so it's like you're reflecting on your own recent past life which is just so crazy I never thought we'd be sitting here doing this in April um but part of that was just kind of reflecting on all these dates I went on and just how I was really pursuing my romantic life and things like that and now it just kind of feels like it's either on a a standstill like kind of a halt or a weird new dimension where FaceTime dates are a normal thing. Um, I was watching one of my friends is actually in this Vogue series which is very cool. It's basically a Zoom meeting so like a video call but they recorded the screen and it's uh, three editors um, of various categories at Vogue and they bring on one guest who kind of shares tips and ideas and just kind of coping mechanisms for what we're currently going through and today's was a sex columnist or the Vogue sex columnist um her name is Casey Kaylee starts with a K um but yeah she's a sex columnist for Vogue and they were on talking about FaceTime dates and like the etiquette surrounding how you should date during this current situation and that kind of got me thinking as well as just like all of these memes I'd been saving in my notes of like just fuck boys during quarantine and how like you know I mean I do this too but a lot of guys are like oh I'm sorry I didn't see your text I was so busy or like they just don't text you for like weeks and they can get away with just like hitting you up on a Saturday night well fuck boys have no excuse now because we quite literally have nothing else to do but be on our phones um for many of us so I mean we have work but of course it's like there's just all that filler time now all the time where we would be doing things like leaving our house and running errands we can't do that anymore. We can't even just go, I don't know, to the laundromat. Like, I mean, I guess it's an essential, but like I have not left the house besides going to the grocery store once in the past three weeks, I guess, or however long I've been here. So yeah, it's basically more of the story is no one has an excuse anymore to not respond to someone if they are truly interested. Like it will show your true colors or your true kind of vibe with if you're feeling it or if you're not feeling it based on your response time because I feel like it makes sense like during the work day to not respond to someone I get that but if it's been like you know what it you know what it, it it's like to text someone and to know that they're not into it and that they're not invested you know if they are constantly the one whoa do you guys hear the wind it's insane today oh my god super creepy anyway I'm about to tell a creepy story so I guess it's not really creepy but the wind knows anyway, but you know, you know, the feeling of when you're texting someone and like you're constantly being the one initiating or putting in all the effort and the other person clearly isn't into it and you're kind of forcing it or you don't know if you should just give up and that sort of thing. Well, now it is more apparent than ever when someone is not interested, um, but kind of on the other end of things, like something I've been thinking about is because I, mean, I have been honestly talking to a few guys from my past so I wouldn't say ex-boyfriends of that anything like that severe but people that I'd gone on dates with that I had been interested in probably like months ago but I kind of let it die because I was like I don't know if I see you in my future future but all of a sudden they've either reached out to me or I've kind of 
reached out to them, been like, hey, what's up? <laughs> How's quarantine going? Because I'm bored, okay? I mean, I'm honestly, I'm not. Okay, truthfully, I'm not extremely bored. I have a lot of things to do. I have a lot of like tasks because I am a freelancer. So this hasn't really affected my work style. But in my free time periods, you know, when I clock out basically or just have time to myself, I'm like, "Mm, I'm kind of bored. I'm just like uninterested with my life, I guess. Or I'm just kind of like, I need to spice things up a bit. So I'm going to just revisit this past flame and text him or Snapchat him, whatever be on Hinge for 17 hours, Um, Hinge, Bumble, Raya, those are what I'm on right now, but um, yeah, so I I just feel like there's this concept of like, do I like them, do I see a future with them, do I care about them, or am I just bored? And that's kind of like the vibe right now with quarantine, and that is what uh, the girls on the Vogue show we're talking about and I was like wow okay I'm not the only one this makes me feel better you guys should definitely watch this show by the way it's very cool I forget what it's called but it's like a zoom show my friend Pooja is one of the main girls which is so cool I mean she's the best so I'm not surprised but it's a very cool show um but yeah so I was thinking about that I was seeing all these memes of like fuck boys getting you know not getting away with their usual tactics because of this and I feel like there's also the concept of like you know all those things you said you would do if you had time, if you had more time, you know, we're constantly saying things like this, like in our normal lives before quarantine, like, oh, if, if I had more time, I could do that. Like, oh, I would organize my closet, color coordinate my closet if I had just time, because I have no time and I'm constantly working and going to meetings and going to events and being with my friends and whatever. And I just don't have time for that. Now we have like all the time in the world. So if you're still not doing that thing, that clearly means like you, it's just not going to happen or like you don't have as much interest in doing that thing or as much energy that you want to devote to that thing as you thought you would if you had time. Does that make sense? Um, so in the same vein, it's like we constantly are saying like, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't respond to your text. Like I was so busy, but now we have nothing but time. So there's just really no more room for excuses. So anyway, all these things that I've been thinking about that I've discussed in the first 10 minutes of this episode are kind of all related to one big concept, which is fuckboys, players, whatever synonym you want to use for that concept. Whenever I say that, you guys kind of know, ah, I can identify one, two, three, four, five, six, eleven, seventeen, thirty-two of these people I've encountered, I don't know how I just got to that number, in my life. Like everyone has encountered a player or has been a player um, at some point in their lives. It's just kind of like a, a fact, you know, even if they haven't personally been affected by one, they know someone, they've read about someone, they've had their friend, you know, crying over a boy at 2 a.m. on their shoulder. You know, it's it's something that all of us are kind of familiar with. So especially now, I think this is super relevant because now that we have time for the first time in a very long time, I mean, for many of us, we would never have anticipated having this much time to think and time with ourselves like I feel like a lot of us are spending way I wouldn't say too much but just a lot more than they are used to time with themselves time in their heads time thinking time overthinking about past things and we're replaying things in our minds that happened happened months ago and a lot of us are also kind of just spending a lot of time thinking about how 
single we are or how unhappy we are in our relationship or just a lot of of course when the world is just kind of crazy around us and we can't really control a lot there's really nothing we can control right now and it's just kind of it's very serious a lot of people are acting very serious we can't help but turn to something a little bit lighter like I guess some people wouldn't view love as a lighter thing but it is something that of course isn't maybe essential but it's something that we think about that we talk about and when someone is sliding in our dms you know that we haven't talked to in a while we're like oh let's hit up our friends to tell everyone about this because it's like what else are we going to freaking talk about besides the coronavirus pandemic that is scary and you know of course we want to talk about things that take our mind off of it so we're on dating apps we're talking to guys that we've never told we thought are cute and just taking a risk and being like, hey, you know, how's your pandemic going? How, or how's the, that was a really bad way to phrase it. How is your, how is your quarantining going? Like, I don't know what else you say um, to intro a, a text these days. It's like, how, how are you holding up? How, how's it going? I don't know. Um, but yeah, we're revisiting past flames. We are getting re-wrapped up in things that are chapters that we once closed and we are kind of confusing ourselves in the process. And a lot of us are without really knowing it, becoming fuck boys kind of, um, opening chapters that should have been closed. Uh, you know, if you broke someone's heart, reopening the wound, like, you know, we're doing a lot of things like that. And so I wanted to talk about maybe we're not doing it, but we're receiving it. It's just happening. Okay. It's happening point blank. So I thought today's episode was super relevant because, and it's just kind of something, I don't know, a little lighthearted to get your mind off of things because this story is actually insane. So I'm going to be sharing a love story and I kind of just want to get into it and not babble too much about it. But basically just in a nutshell though, why this is significant, this story, basically many will say that this story is the first known account of a fuck boy in history. Um, someone who's a player, someone who kind of just strings someone along, but it's so public and there's so much, so many accounts from so many different people that just make this story super colorful and super interesting. So it's the most kind of documented historical fuckboy story about Lord Byron. And then also other people will say that it's the first largely documented account of a crazy ex-girlfriend, aka Caroline Lamb, who is also featured in this story. Um, She's a little bit love crazy, I would say. But if you're asking me, I would say Lord Byron was just a little bit bored. He was just sitting around, you know, twiddling his poetic thumbs and thinking, hmm, like, how am I going to start chaos today? Let me indulge myself in another affair. Whatever. I digress. We'll get into the story. You guys can decide. So our story begins, we are in London and it is early, the early 1800s. And basically Caroline Lamb was a really beautiful woman. She was an elf looking woman. That's how they described her. She, her photos, if you look her up or I guess her paintings, she looks like a beautiful woman. She's a very delicate looking face. Um, just super she looks like an elf honestly and she was very vivacious she rode horses bareback and despite her patchy education she was super smart very well spoken super witty Um, in her childhood she had a really rough childhood which I'm not going to talk a lot about there is a lot of history on her childhood which is super interesting but it's not super relevant to the love story but she had a rough upbringing she wasn't really parented well so she ultimately actually didn't finish school Um, So she had to teach herself a lot of things like Latin and how to write and how, you know, all those basic skills that you learn in school. And she actually went on to be an author. So it's actually shocking that she taught herself a lot of that. 
Um, and she was super witty and smart, and it didn't seem like she hadn't finished school, basically. So Caroline was, she was beautiful. So she married super young. Um, she got married around, I think, the age of 20 or so to a man named William Lamb. Ultimately, that's how she got her last name, Caroline Lamb. And things were totally fine in their marriage at first, apparently. All was well. They got along. Um, but until they started trying to have a child, that's when things started to get a little bit rough. Their first child was stillborn. Their second child was born with autism. And apparently, Caroline kind of said in many letters and diary entries that she didn't even really enjoy having sex with her husband. It may have been because of her religious beliefs and things like that, but also I just think she wasn't really, just didn't really have chemistry with him and thought something was wrong with her, whatever. So that's just kind of some background. So this beautiful woman was just kind of stuck in this marriage where she didn't really feel super satisfied and fulfilled and she was 27 years old and just super unhappy with her life and she had a couple friends or had a bunch of friends actually and one of her friends actually gave her this poem to read called child harold which is one of lord byron's poems she had never met him before um, but it was just a mutual friend was like you should read this so she picked up this poem she read the poem and it was kind of like love at first read i guess she read the poem and was just instantly just in love with this guy, which I think is crazy, but I don't know, I guess like the, just the way it was written and I tried reading it myself and I guess I just don't really understand like old English um, as well as of course the people that lived in that time understood it. So it didn't really resonate as well with me, but basically she was like, I need to meet this guy. And her friend was like, oh no, no, you don't want to meet him. He has a club foot. He like has a limp and he bites his nails. And Caroline was like, if he was as ugly as Aesop or Aesop, I must know him and that's another poet i don't know how to say that name but i had a an aesop poem in my childhood bathroom so i'm gonna look that up after this to see how to how to say it because i never have said it out loud but anyway so basically despite being married despite being in her late 20s she was just very hellbent on meeting this guy this poet um she kind of they, they said in the uh, historical account verbatim that she conjured a romantic image of the poet kind of in her head. And I feel like a lot of us have done that when we hear about someone that we're kind of that could be a potential match for us or we are just on social media kind of just you know swiping left, swiping right on different things we're like, "Oh, I could maybe picture this guy in my life or I could picture him being next to me in a photo." I do that sometimes like on Hinge. I'll be like, "Oh, can I picture this guy standing next to me in a picture? Like would we look good together?" I don't know. I think that way sometimes. So of course, you know, Caroline is just like picturing this romantic just guy in her head. She's unhappy in her marriage. She needed to find some other thing to latch on to. So she actually wrote him an anonymous fan letter, which part of it said, you deserve to be and you shall be happy, which apparently is just like a very, I don't know, promiscuous thing to say. I don't know. It's just like a very nice thing, I guess. And a few days later, she got super nervous. She was kind of in a situation where she got to meet him basically, and she kind of chickened out and fled because he was surrounded by so many other women and she was super nervous. And Byron, of course, he always kind of preferred women he had to pursue, which I feel like we all kind of knew this about him before even hearing about him. We could just tell this guy who's constantly surrounded by women, who is writing these romantic poems, of course, women are just flocking to him and he loves just having all of these women around him. So he's typically not used to anyone fleeing from his presence and kind of running away and not being interested in him outwardly. So 
and he he just always preferred women that he had to pursue. So once Caroline Lamb had avoided his introduction or the introduction to him, Byron was determined to meet her. So they were introduced at their mutual friend's house, but he was actually initially disappointed in Caroline. She did not resemble his traditional conquests, so the people he typically went after, or his concept of feminine beauty. So she was tall, she was very thin, she had short curly blonde hair and hazel eyes, and he was not accustomed, this was not his typical type. So initially he was kind of disappointed. So this is kind of like if a friend of yours is setting you up and you end up meeting the person and you're like, oh, that is not how I expected this person to be, or like going on a hinge date or like any sort of blind kind of date where you haven't met the person yet and you've just kind of like based it off of photos and some prompts. It's like the guy could come to the restaurant or meet up with you at at the bar and be like, oh, I was not expecting that. So I kind of, I feel that. I feel that. Um, It's kind of brutal how he described her, but okay, I digress. So basically, um, after the meeting, he told his friend Medwin, interesting name. In quotes, the lady had scarcely any personal attractions to recommend her. Her figure was too thin to be good, and her eccentric habit of dressing as a page boy shocked him. (laughs) So... I guess our girly is just not the typical just vision of feminine beauty that people were used to at the time. And she kind of dressed a little bit boyish or was just a little bit thinner. I don't know. So he initially was not too impressed with her. But Caroline, on the other hand, was attracted to him instantly. She actually wrote in her journal, I believe she also wrote to a friend, describing him as mad, bad, and dangerous to know. That beautiful pale face is my fate. So I guess he was pale. (laughs) I don't know, but mad, bad, and dangerous to know. That is just such an iconic line. Like, wow. It's like the ultimate bad boy, the ultimate James Dean type. But anyway, so Caroline was a vivacious and flirtatious woman, historians said, and Byron suspected that she wanted him for the notoriety and to feed her vanity. He was always super insecure, um, and he had this like kind of persona where he came across super confident, but he was super insecure and just kind of obsessive over his image underneath, and Caroline actually sensed this insecurity in him, but apparently it only increased the charm that she felt, or his charm towards her, I guess, um, and he actually soon overcame his initial opinion of Caroline, and his response to her attractiveness I guess or lack thereof and they became lovers and it actually it shocked basically all of London because they were super in the public eye for some reason Um, I guess because he was a famous author and she was a a lady had good standing I guess a lot of friends Um, and basically they shocked all of London with their affair through much of April and May of 1812 Remember, she is actually married and she has a child who has autism and just a really loving, devoted husband who is just trying to love her and she's just running around, running off with Byron. Um, And he had actually long believed, he said, that women were truly incapable of understanding male thoughts and desires. But apparently once he met Caroline, he realized that's not true at all. And he had to abandon this no- this notion because clearly, I mean, she was just super witty and quick and smart and just not like other women of her time, which I think is super cool. So they argued apparently fiercely, just kind of how lovers just argue um, because he flirted with other women, which was a huge cause of the fighting. On actually one famous occasion, Caroline, was, they were at a party, Caroline broke the glass that she was holding in her hand, 
when she saw Byron speaking to another woman. So, you know, she's kind of a little bit (laughs) obsessive, but he is too. He was also super jealous of her waltzing with other men. And Byron actually, because of his his foot, I guess he, I don't know what happened to his foot. He had like a a limp and like a a bum foot. And since he couldn't dance, um, Caroline actually sat out the waltz because they didn't want to, you know, have it be a fight. So she sat out the waltz and no longer was the life of her parties. So I guess she threw a lot of parties and was just kind of like dumbing herself down a little bit for his own comfort. But you know, they're both a little bit crazy. So Byron was a victim of his own contradictory personality. Many say he loved to pursue women, but when captured, once he got them, he longed to leave them. And it kind of happened this way with Caroline. Once Caroline finally returned the affection fully to him and was just super public about it, she was kind of in love with him from the moment she met him, but she kept it kind of under wraps and was trying to play it cool. Once it became pretty common knowledge that she loved him, he grew bored and irritated with her. Sound familiar? (laughs) And his friends, this is also super interesting, his friends particularly the sensible John Hobhouse, who the heck is that? I don't know. I guess a sensible guy, were already shocked by the affair. It had grown increasingly open and hysterical. So his friends were not very happy with how public their friend was being just kind of mocked for being so just disgustingly and crazily in love with this woman. Um, and so Byron was eventually persuaded by his friends to leave London and ultimately ultimately leave Caroline. So when he kind of left, he went to another part of the UK, I'm pretty sure, or somewhere else. I'm not quite sure where he went, but he left. And Caroline then bombarded him with love letters and... Byron's friend was just like, dude, don't respond. (laughs) He definitely said it that way too. Basically, his friend told him not to respond to her, and so he didn't. Byron didn't respond and was just kind of labeling her as crazy. Sound familiar? And Caroline was confused. She was hurt. She just had kind of put herself completely on the line and was finally happy, was finally you know, having good sex, (laughs) just was just happy with someone. And now he left and just wasn't responding to her messages or her, her letters and was kind of, there was just whispers and murmurs of her being crazy and she could just not take this. So Byron didn't respond to a single one of her letters, but he returned to London. He avoided her, but they kind of were in the same social circle, or I guess a lot of the parties invited the same people. And so it was kind of, they were going to see each other again, but Byron made it super clear that he was not interested in her anymore. Um, But apparently he wrote that he was still attracted to her despite avoiding her, um, which is super confusing. But again, sound familiar. So Byron had apparently wooed her passionately for two months and then fully ignored her. After a bunch of drama, with Caroline actually illegally visiting Byron, Byron refusing to love her but secretly still caring for her, he writes her a letter essentially saying, kind of in flowery terms, that he still loves her but he can't be with her. Again, sound familiar. He said, quote, I care not who knows this, what use is made of it. I was and am yours freely and most entirely to obey, to honor, to love, and fly with you when, where, and how you yourself might and may determine. AKA, that sounds like a marriage vow, so I don't understand why he's saying that in his breakup letter. Whatever, men. And so just a few months later, actually, in the winter of 1812, so, okay, winter of 1812, 
something else is happening. But just kind of just think about it. In the same year that he started this affair with Caroline and they were in love, so honestly, like probably three months later after he was in love with Caroline, in the winter of 1812, he was engaged in another affair with Jane Elizabeth, Countess of Oxford, also married, and she was actually a friend of Caroline's, a close friend of Caroline's, though she quickly destroyed their friendship by encouraging Byron's disdain for his former lover. So basically, she ended the friendship to Caroline or with Caroline because of Byron, um, which again, <laughs> that's definitely happened in these current days of just a friend kind of, you know, I've even seen it on TikTok, like girls confronting their friend who hooked up with their ex-boyfriend. You know what I mean? So anyway, (laughs) so Elizabeth, this girl, Jane Elizabeth, or this woman, Countess of Oxford, actually wrote Caroline basically a letter saying like, sorry, but I'm in love with your ex-boyfriend. We can't be friends anymore. That's basically what she said. And the effect upon Caroline was super brutal. She was physically ill and actually had to seek rest. She like left London to go, I think, to like an infirmary or something. And she was just super unwell. She was already kind of a little bit unstable and unhealthy. So this was a big blow to her. And she she threatened to tell Elizabeth's husband, Jane Elizabeth's husband, about the affair. And she basically laughed while Byron was actually kind of nervous about it because his exploits would be kind of, you know, he would be exposed basically for being a fuckboy. Anyway, so when this was all happening and she was super unwell, Caroline was super unwell, her husband, William, so the one from the beginning that she initially, that she was married to through all this was happening, and he actually knew the entire time the affair was super public. So he knew that his wife was just gallivanting around with this other man, this other man who was kind of notorious for being, just having a lot of women and just doing crazy things, partying, all this stuff. They went to all these lavish, just crazy parties. And he was at home with the kid, basically. But when she was in her lowest point during this time, William was actually there for her. He was at her bedside, helping her just get back to health. And things were kind of getting, honestly, better between them during this time of her clearly not having luck with Byron. But of course, she was still in love with him because, you guessed it, she couldn't have him. So basically this is all happening with them. Caroline's kind of being nursed back to health. She's getting over her depression. Um, William, her husband, had actually seen apparently all the red flags between Caroline and Byron and expected this to happen. So he kind of patiently waited to just, until it kind of just crashed and burned and then he was gonna be there for her basically. So he was kind of just waiting for it to end. Um, And it's interesting because, I mean, it's true. Like William was just, he was the nice guy. He was, I guess, too available for Caroline because she still, despite her husband just helping her through this tough time, she was still dreaming about and just obsessed with this guy who just was not giving her the time of day that she had a fleeting little situation with that probably, I mean, maybe it was love, maybe it was lust, and she was still just his attention was all that she craved and wanted despite having this perfectly great man that she just wasn't as into I guess and he was just too available I guess William was so anyway Byron soon returned to London again and saw Caroline at various social events they had a few actually civil conversations at these parties at these events Caroline was back with her husband but she was still torn by jealousy and regrets and was just not over it 
And it's hard to say. I feel like Byron maybe secretly wasn't over it either, but I feel like he just had a lot of distractions because he had a lot of women, basically. So during the Christmas season, while Byron stayed with Jane Elizabeth, Caroline had a dramatic bonfire. This is my favorite part. So while he was off with this new woman and she was back at home, just kind of getting over him and finally getting herself back to where she was before, she decided to have this dramatic bonfire where she had all these little village girls come dressed in all white and she had this huge fire I don't know if this was like in her backyard or somewhere she like had just I don't know a bonfire at her disposal and these village girls were like dancing around while Caroline was throwing copies of the love letters they'd exchanged and other just tokens that Byron had given her or things that reminded her of him into the fire and just burned all these things she actually also made a figure of Byron or something that looked like him, I guess, which she also burned while her, her page recited lines that she had written, which one part said, burn, fire, burn, while wondering boys exclaim and gold and trinkets glitter in the flame. It was this like long thing, basically just like cleansing her of all the sin related to Byron. And she thought that that was going to wipe her slate clean and all would be well. She'd be on her merry way just back in her marriage, things are fine. They were not fine, <laughs> plot twist. Um, but basically, yeah, so this time Byron was kind of losing his, losing his, just his title. Basically, he was really famous for his poetry at first, but then he started just becoming kind of famous for being, or I guess infamous, as a lover. And in the summer of 1813, Byron's half-sister, Augusta Lee, had come to London for three weeks. So Byron made no secret of his affection towards his half-sister, okay? And while there was not, like, concrete evidence that they hooked up, it was just based on the letters they exchanged and just, like, how people described them together, there was a lot of talk of just an incestuous relationship happening, which actually wasn't illegal in London at the time, but it just was not... It was kind of frowned upon. It was like, oh, that's kind of gross, basically. So he was just like outraged that anyone would think that he was in a romantic relationship with his half-sister, but he did love her and just spoke very highly of her and was like very touchy with her. It was just kind of weird. So so Augusta is hanging around. She's now on the invite list to every party that Byron is going to. Caroline is also at those parties. A lot of these parties are apparently just like, they're all kind of in the social circle, the same social circle. So I guess, I don't know how often these things are happening, but I guess Byron is constantly bringing a different woman to each party. I feel like that's like his vibe. So basically he's bringing Augusta to these parties. Caroline are at, is at these parties. They're kind of ignoring each other. Although I will say some things did happen um, just throughout that I have not fully discussed because they are just honestly not suitable for the podcast. Some of these things are super crazy and dirty. Um, but basically they were just kind of messing with each other at this point. So Caroline would just kind of pull pranks on Byron to kind of make him look bad. And Byron was just kind of labeling her as a crazy person. She He really wanted people to think that she was mentally un unstable. And she wanted people to think like he was crazy or gay or hooking up with his sister and things like that um so it was kind of just mutually they were like just trying to sabotage each other publicly at these parties and just privately in the literary world and with people's partners and like whatever they were just trying to sabotage each other for who knows why i think they were both just probably still in love with each other but i don't know and guys this is where the plot thickens even more i did not see this coming so well i saw this part coming but not you'll see basically he is with this woman you know jane elizabeth still he's also kind of hooking up with his 
half-sister. And he's also now engaged in another love affair with this woman named Lady Frances Webster, who's also unhappily married, and she's a wife of a close friend of his. Like, what the actual fuck? I don't get it. Anyway, so he's now balancing three women. And then, to make matters even crazier, in 1814, Byron was preparing to wed Caroline's cousin, Annabella Milbank. Like, I'm going to say it again. Caroline's cousin... Okay, her literal cousin. (laughs) Okay, this guy is crazy. He is like balancing all these women, even like just hitting super close to home. Like hooking up with her friend is one thing, but her cousin, like that's just insane. Anyway, so this guy is basically crazy. Um, But at that time, Caroline, apparently, so when she heard about the news, she was surprisingly calm, which I think she probably just was not surprised because this guy had clearly moved on so fast to her friend, to all these other women, and it was super public knowledge. So I feel like she probably just wasn't too surprised and she was just kind of, there was no more tears left to cry basically about the whole thing. So she still loved him, but she was just kind of like, okay, fuck you. And I think in retaliation, so she actually went to Paris and Brussels with her husband um, around that time, and she hooked up with all of these army officers, um, humiliating her husband, and just kept saying that Byron was still the greatest passion of her life. And I guess she was just super heartbroken about it. Um, And he actually died in 1824. He was 36. And in some of her letters, she actually mentioned to some friends that she had seen him sorry the wind is crazy lord byron and lady caroline are here in the room you can hear it by the wind anyway um basically so she wrote to some friends that she had actually seen him before his death like just before or i guess and they shared a passionate kiss some people are saying that's bullshit so i don't really know for a fact because i guess he didn't say anything about it but apparently you know, at his bedside. So when he was dying, he didn't mention Caroline at all. And I guess he probably mentioned other people and she was super devastated that he didn't mention her when he died, like at all, because this affair that I guess had lasted all of like three months was like everything to Caroline. She was just devastated. And so the remainder of Caroline's life was kind of sad, honestly. People say it was super melancholy. She wrote a couple of novels, but she overall was just kind of restless, kind of just unresolved about the whole thing. And she actually, a bunch of her novels were kind of in response or just talking about Byron. So a bunch of people only read them for the scandalous details and didn't really read them for her talent, which... I just think it's crazy that she was able to write these really insane novels. They're actually pretty critically acclaimed now um, when she didn't even have a proper education, which I think is just crazy. But anyway, so she was just kind of writing these novels, just still obsessed with Byron. And so her talent was kind of overshadowed by the affair. And largely in history, she's just known as one of Lord Byron's lovers, which I think is so sad. Um, But she actually ended up separating from her husband, William, in 1825. Finally, the man actually separated from her. He did it. It was his doing. Finally, he came to his senses. Um, But I guess he still loved her dearly. And they actually remained super close. And he was actually at her bedside when she died um, four years after Byron had in 1828. She was 42 years old. Um, And her husband, actually, he never married again but he continued working in politics. He eventually became prime minister and one of Queen Victoria's favorite advisors. So thank God. Redemption for William. He's 
bad at picking women, but great at politics. And guys, this is just like, honestly, the Sparknotes version of this story, um, which I think is just one of the most interesting love stories because so much of it applies to what we currently deal with with relationships. It's just insane how, you know, of course we have technology to fuel a lot of these things, but really all of this fuckery dates back to 1812, okay? And before that, I mean, honestly, it definitely happened before that. This is just one of the largely or largest documented accounts of a quote crazy ex-girlfriend and fuckboy. So I just naturally I had to share it because I love history and I love talking about love. So here I am. But I kind of, you know, I wanted to set the record kind of straight because I feel like based on the story, you guys can see they're, they kind of both were at fault. I think they're, they were just not compatible, basically, despite the fact that they were both kind of obsessive with either power or just over a person. You know, I think Caroline was obsessed with the idea of having Byron, but Byron was kind of obsessed with always having a new woman who was just kind of obsessed with him. But then once they got too obsessed, he was like, okay, on to the next one. Like, I just think they both had some things they needed to work out and never did within themselves. But I did want to set the record straight about Caroline because I feel like all the accounts I was reading was kind of painting her as the crazy one when I think both of them were super just kind of at fault. And I I was just surprised at how she was always just depicted as the crazy one. You know, women were always the crazy ones. They weren't passionate, but they were crazy. And a historian who actually wrote a book on Caroline called her, quote, a woman whose passions and independence were incompatible with the age in which she lived, which was super thought-provoking for me because, you know, I, I just feel like she was a very passionate person. I mean, there were some details I left out, which if you guys read about her, you're going to be astounded at how crazy she was over this, or passionate rather. I'm going to use the word passionate. Um, but I think she was also a, a talent that people just didn't, you know, she was also not as feminine as the other women. She was kind of boyish. And I just think she just was not, if she had maybe existed in a different time, things might have fared a bit differently for her. But ultimately, we're left with her novels, which. I kind of am like feeling tempted to pick one up because especially the ones about Byron because apparently she actually wrote a parody like a direct parody of one of his books or something just like making fun of him or something she was kind of like just ruthless um but Lord Byron had actually called her quote the cleverest most agreeable absurd amiable perplexing dangerous fascinating little being that lives now or ought to have lived 2,000 years ago which I think is just so funny that he described her like that um, and one website that's actually dedicated to her, I believe it's like Car- caroline.com or something, caro.com. Um, Caroline has always provoked such strong reactions that it is difficult to get an objective view of her life and work. And I agree with that because while I was researching, it was just very hard for me to figure out like what was just kind of dramatized because of someone's opinion of how things, you know, it, like I said, there's so many different people who have just to live through this time that documented their ideas on this. And there was just so much gossip. This is how I can imagine people talking about celebrities like a hundred years from now, just like all of this speculation and gossip. It was hard to see how they actually were, but I still feel like it'd be so cool to see a movie on this, this plot and these characters, like just so, I, I just think it'd be so interesting. Um, but yeah, basically moral of the story here is we love some things that we can't have. And it's super evident in this story with Caroline really loving a man that clearly did not respect her, 
but I guess still somehow loved her but did not respect her enough to make her his one and only and he successfully he kind of got what he wanted he got her her obsession and he kind of owned her without having to be exclusive with her and have her be his only pawn you know that's kind of like a fuck boy's dream it's just always having a little hold on someone even though they're not dedicated to that person and having to put in very minimal effort to keep someone in their life. And so I just find so much, like, so much in that that I can relate to. And I mean, so Meredith Grey, I wrote down this quote from um, Grey's Anatomy. Meredith Grey said, too often the thing that you want most is the one thing you can't have. Desire leaves us heartbroken. It wears us out. Desire can wreck your life. And clearly it kind of wrecked Caroline's, so... I just think it's an interesting story. Um, and I actually kind of debunked it down to two main reasons why we love what we can't have and why we're kind of obsessed with what we can't have. And I kind of came to these conclusions with my friend's help. So courtesy of them and me brainstorming and trying to get to the bottom of this. So the two main reasons, number one, we place more value on people who make their presence scarce and fleeting. So people that you know are hard to get are kind of more valuable in our eyes if someone's super busy and or super kind of famous or you know just super just not as communicative not as not always reaching out to us first not always giving us the time of day when they do it's super valuable to us we try harder because this person must you know really be worth it if they're so busy or in such high demand if they're a scarce resource they must be worth the wait and so we keep going after this person even if it's just like clearly not getting anywhere or going anywhere rather it's still worth it for us because they just feel like a scarce resource and when someone is too available it just isn't as valuable to us and also, so the second thing is the concept of breadcrumbing. So I kind of talked about that in the beginning, I think. So basically, I mean, it's kind of like Hansel and Gretel. Like someone's leaving like a little breadcrumb trail, like leaving a little piece of their affection, a little piece of them, and you're eating it up like a freaking bird on the sidewalk, okay? <laughs> so, you know, it means what it sounds like when someone leaves you breadcrumbs. It just strings you along and our brains love the unpredictability, not knowing when they're going to find, when we're going to find another breadcrumb, the just asymmetry of it all. It doesn't make sense. And the highs are higher than if we get the desired reward all the time regularly. So that is another reason. I think those are like the big two reasons. I just like cracked my wrist. I don't know how that happened. Um, And, you know, despite knowing all this to be true, we still crave the people that we can't have until you know some magic alignment of the universe brings us a craving that you know by some miracle we can have and have this love you know hopefully without pain or unreturned love letters you know that's when it'll eventually will eventually hit that sweet spot but until then we're kind of obsessed with the breadcrumb trail we're obsessed with the 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 people that are scarce and the people that make themselves like their attention super fleeting and don't really give us as much attention. And it's sad because, you know, people like William, who clearly did not win the affection of his own wife because this guy who she'd seen for two months and that didn't give her the time of day and was hooking up with her cousin and her friend, you know, it's just crazy to think about it, but also, like, you can bash it until you are Caroline. And it just, it feels a whole lot different when you're in the person's shoes of dealing with it. It's like, it, it, you know, clearly this makes sense. You should go with the person that 
is kind to you and is there for you, but it doesn't always work out like that in matters of the heart. So super interesting concept. I just wanted to talk about that today and share this story because I thought it was super interesting, kind of transporting us back to a different time when things honestly weren't all that different (laughs) in terms of romantic pursuing and things like that. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this story and this podcast and are hanging in there and I will talk to you guys all next week. Bye. (laughs) 